So I had an interesting exchange on LinkedIn, and not not interesting in the way of fighting with people over the internet. Interesting in the way of somebody said something that I thought was particularly thoughtful, and I felt the need to respond to it to say, hey, that was particularly thoughtful. And I will show the message here on the screen next to me, and for the people that are listening to the audio version, I will read it. He's talking about what his biggest struggle as a technical leader is. He says, the biggest struggle is to get the team to work synchronously in real time dealing with one issue at a time and striving to make that issue as small as possible. I thought that was a great response and I felt compelled to reply with this is the true leadership answer. Getting people to focus on the top problem and make larger progress. I don't I don't know what I larger that makes no sense. And getting people to focus on the top problem and make larger progress on fewer items is the way to make real progress as opposed to having a million things in progress and being really busy I'm a really busy person, Ohm, because I have a million things in well, progress. Yeah, if your business is how you're you're measured, then that's what you want. But yeah, that, this is a good topic. I like this topic. I feel if we're going to talk about leadership challenges, this is a leadership challenge. I feel this podcast probably applies to product people as much as it applies to maybe senior developers or team leads or people in that kind of position. Scrum masters, I feel it would strongly apply to. Like you're trying to communicate to your team, hey, it's more important to get together and finish the highest priority item first. And even if we're a little slower, because there's many people working on it, that's better because we're turning in consistently done work. Yeah, I agree. I also think that maybe some product owners could benefit from this as well, because I've known some product owners that just say yes to everything that comes their way and and stick it in top of the backlog. So this idea of um, leadership really saying, work on this, work on this, work on this, and the teams are just subservient and say yes, that idea, I think we can kind of explore a bit. What is the team working on at a given point in time? If you're sprinting in the sprint, what are they working on, right? Are they working on the highest priority items that they believe can be finished in the sprint? Then they should just be working on that. But along comes somebody, leadership perhaps, that says, work on this now, right yeah. now, because this is yeah. priority one. And how many priority ones can you have? The, hey, I'm going to stop working on what I'm working on just because you asked me is a little bit like that the order taker team and team members is a little bit different than the organization where everything's always priority one all the time a little bit different but it is different it is different yeah so let's just take the other angle the opposite angle why not i mean after all leadership saying do this let's do that if the developer manager says now do this let's do that and if we don't finish it doesn't matter because they told us to change so we could say well we're working on that and then you change direction on us yeah so that's why we're delayed not finished etc but is that really helping the organization as a whole, right? If you imagine that behavior happening on multiple teams, what does that look like at the uh, at the org level, yeah. right? People have always got the irons in the fire, right? So they've always got things they started, but not a lot of those are finished because they keep starting. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that right there is the the crux of many many problems. Is your organizational culture values the people being busy all the time and having no no breaks, no whatever. You know what I mean? The people who are working on the weekends and, you know what I mean, they're on at whatever, 11 o'clock at night or whatever, they're the most valued people in the organization. They're not necessarily the most productive. No, that's right. right. You know, I but agree. they have they have the most balls in the air. Well, yeah, I agree. So how would, how would the Egyptians have built the pyramids if they just kept starting? They wouldn't have finished anything. But they did, and they, they did some amazing things by finishing one task that was at hand. Bring the stones in, establish a flow, they had worked it out, basically. You couldn't get the stones into the, onto the site too quickly because they get in the way. It's mm -hmm. that inventory issue, right? excess inventory as we know it today. Yeah. They'd figured that out. 
by making sure that people finish what they're on. So those yeah. that are rolling the stones in, finish that before they do something else. Right. Those that are moving the stones up, up on the next level, so to speak, they finish that. Why is this a problem though? Have we seen any glaring symptoms why this is a problem? I just want to tackle the problem statement and then kind of break it down a bit. Well, I think that's a, oh boy, like that's a very difficult question to answer. Like why, why do you get a culture that is obsessed with s- starting things and not obsessed with finishing things? Like that you would think, and you would think that like corporate structures would actually be better at this than anyone else. They should be obsessed with finishing things rather than saying, oh, look at all the things I've started. You know, I don't know. I, like, I feel, I feel there, there are a couple sides to this. The obvious one for me is to point out incentives, right? That's the obvious one is the person who says like, oh, I need to start all these things and every single different initiative I need a new team for. And my incentives are all based on how many people work for me. Go- government gets this way. The number of people you manage means that you, you must be a good manager because you're managing so many people. Yeah. And it's an indicator or even a measure in some companies of seniority. Right. right. The, the yeah, higher right. up the ladder you go, the more people you quote right. unquote manage. Right. So that that's part of the issue as well. I agree. The, the other thing is the structure itself. So if you have a matrix structure where people are basically working for certain individuals, but they're working on a team that's that they're not reporting to that individual for necessarily. Yeah. Then they have divided loyalty. Right. And their loyalty is split between the team and also between their manager, hierarchical manager, who is likely to say to them, what are you working on? Drop that. Work on this next because I feel the pressure for, for moving this along. So I think the structure also encourages this, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of starting and not finishing. Well, let's dissect that for a second. Oh, geez, sure. I'm so shiny. Like, <laughs> let, let's dissect the... Hang on, let me try not to be shiny. Sorry. <laughs> Since we're talking about leadership here for a second, we're, we're focusing on this stuff being a leadership problem. Let's talk about the shifting priorities like sometimes when i talk about like scrum teams that want to move to kanban because things are too chaotic they can't oh two weeks is too long of an increment for me i don't know like i i get pulled every couple days or whatever to do a radically different thing and my backlog gets thrown out or whatever like oh well your environment is just really chaotic because your leadership just can't decide what the priorities are that's a whole different symptom let's talk about that symptom for a second because like kind of what we're talking about is like oh well my development lead interrupts me or my cto interrupts me or whoever somebody in the organization interrupts me and says hey stop drop everything you're working on and go fix this or go implement this or go solve this or whatever this customer screaming that i'll call it what it is just so we can start on the right foot that leadership problem it has to do with a certain set of things happening in the organization if you're listening to this podcast and that is your problem, first of all, no, there's very little you're going to be able to do with it. Like leadership is the issue. You've got to move the prioritization up to the leadership level. Product managers normally are the people that should be dealing with it at that level. I agree with you, right? That, that's where it belongs. They have to prioritize. We can help though, right? We can help them understand the impact of dropping something and picking something else up. Yeah. I feel like teams don't do that enough. They, they simply just... Okay, throw it out. I'll work on this, I guess. You're telling me this. Yeah. What if we said to the requester, yeah, we can do that, but here's the opportunity cost of dropping what we're doing. We can pick it up again, but because of context switching, etc., this will not now get done in the time we originally said or thought it would get done in. It would take longer. And if that's okay, then fine. So I think that we can help move that conversation along with leadership so they understand fully. It's not going to go anywhere if you've got multiple leaders making multiple asks of the team, right? Saying, work on my stuff. And somebody else doing the same thing. Along comes somebody even higher and says, hey, we got to get ready for this conference. Work on that stuff. 
that gets difficult. I think if it's happening frequent enough, one of the things you could think about is maybe just have a team that works on that, a small team that just yeah. does that, putting yeah. out fires and things like that. Yeah. And then you have your the quintessential development team can be heads down, focused on doing development mm-hmm. work. Yeah, but that, that requires at some point, again, requires leadership to step in, to, to, to segment things so that a, cer- a, certain, a certain amount of flow or a certain type of flow can happen. Basically, to, yep. to, to separate the chaos from the rest of your team, so that like you have your chaos team <laughs> over here and you have your stable teams over here. Like It depends on the environment. It depends on the technology. There's a lot of stuff it depends on. So like I, I hate to say, it depends, and just like, oh, I'll write you a check, and the check says, it depends. And that's the end of my help for anyone listening that may have found this podcast. The helpful thing there is that everyone's work becomes transparent and the backlog that is getting shifted in priorities becomes transparent, okay? So if if you, I was once in an organization where uh, product managers, the, the PMs, they, they had a very finite list of things that they wanted to get done in, I think we were using Azure DevOps in that shop. But anyway, it doesn't matter what the tool was, but they had a very finite list, like maybe like uh, two sprints ahead in the tool mm-hmm. of like stories and epics and stuff like that. But then they had a spreadsheet that went out like months of stuff that they knew that they were going to bring in. They knew they were, it wasn't even like a spreadsheet of like my discovery work is kept outside of the system. And when I'm talking to customers and about things I can do or whatever, I keep that separate. And then when we get to a certain point in the funnel, I bring it into the system. It was like, no, no, no. They knew they were going to do that. I mean, they had stuff staged. It wasn't quite a Gantt chart. It really was like a list with priorities and they'd move stuff around or whatever. But the point was they weren't using the tool that the development teams and stuff were using. They were using just a spreadsheet on their on their laptop. Right. It wasn't even a shared spreadsheet between PMs that they talked about when the PMs met or whatever. It truly was as bad as I'm describing it. So so what I'm what I'm saying is it, it, you could go a long way toward easing the, the churn. I don't know a better way to a better term toward easing the churn of like, oh, stop working on this. Work on this. Oh, oh that that's not the top priority anymore. This is a new priority. You can go a long way towards that if you just make the things that are in the pipeline transparent to everyone. Right. Yeah. Especially transparent to the people who are about to work on it. But. But to be fair, transparent to anyone who wants to come look at it, right? If anyone wanders into your dashboard, there it is. I mean, that, that's the stuff we're working on. I'm not trying to hide anything. Make it transparent. I think that's step one. I fully agree with that. And as some teams will say, wow, these wild ideas that people have, we put them all in our backlog. Yeah. Our backlog is going to be very, very deep. And we don't want that. Like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of items. Well, that problem's easy to solve too, right? Don't put them directly in the backlog. Like you said, put it on a dashboard, put it in a different area, right? Microsoft uses area paths. There's other ways to do this. But yes, the bottom line is it should be visible because who knows? Maybe somebody on the team, when they're looking at this stuff, could say, wait, we can't do this because we need this other thing done first before right. it comes up or right. vice versa. We're doing this. If we changed it in a way that allows us to get to a point, we can deliver this something else that's down there, right? So. Communication obviously becomes important at that stage because they could raise that concern. Right. But they can't do any of that if they don't see it. So it has to be visible. Yeah. The other thing that happens when it's visible is everything's in one place. Yeah. You have one certain visible radiator where everything is displayed. So you're not left thinking, well, I understand this person who has the loudest voice, they have their spreadsheet. What about these other people? Higher rank, maybe uh, they may have their own spreadsheets. You don't have any of that going on. Mm-hmm. It's in one place. Mm-hmm. Right? That is step number one. If I had an organization that was transforming or doing whatever or whatever merge or what you know I mean whatever let's say for example that we 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 own like brian and ohm software development company and we were the most like all of our processes were all streamlined or whatever and we were like a 100 person company and then we bought another 100 person company and merged it with ours like i i would want i as leadership i would say i want to deploy my enterprise agile coach to the other environment to help them understand like this is the way that we work okay and and the way and and i'm doing that 
to help them be more productive. Now, and now I'm going to use those terms, which I normally will steer away from using, right? To, to be more efficient and that like the terms that I will try not to talk about because they, they could be dirty words and a lot of people in the, as a community be like, oh, you're talking about being efficient when you're not, if you're effective or whatever. But the point is like, I want their development teams to be as efficient as my development teams. I want to be assured as the leader in, in the organization that when I, when I hand an initiative down and I say, I want to increase usage of my mobile app by 20% by the users, I hand that down as a business goal. Right from the business goal, developers pull down and say, "Oh, we might do this. We might do this. We might do this." But my product managers pull it in, yep. decide what they want to do, talk to the development teams, try different things, figure out what they're going to do. So I think of what the topic we're talking about: this leadership problem of you got to stop starting things and start finishing things. The idea is, well, maybe these guys have a couple development teams. Maybe have two, three development teams. So the idea is, oh, they get the thing and they're like, okay, well, there's we have three development teams. Each team is whatever five, eight people. We're taking your business initiative and we're just going to give it to developer Bob, right. one, one guy. Oh, he's working on it. We we don't know what's happening with that. We we can't do anything until he's done. Yeah. Like as leadership in that example, I would be super frustrated. I'd be like, I I told you this is my number one priority. I want more eyeballs in my mobile app. And out of the fifteen people across the three team three development teams, only one person is working on this. It seems like you are not taking my request seriously. It seems like you're not taking the goals that I'm setting as leadership seriously. And it, it, first of all, I have been in shops where leadership addresses the team that way. As leadership, I would never address the team that way. But my point being is, as leadership, that's that's the way I would feel if I found out that, oh, we just handed it off to this one person. And it, now it's his or her responsibility to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, there, there are so many things there, right? So not only is the team not really abiding by the urgency, I guess, or the relevancy of, of that request, right? You've got one person working on it. Right. One person who may or may not work the whole sprint if you're sprinting, yeah. and maybe they're that they're off for a bit, they get sick or whatever. So you're not really, I guess what it boils down to is you're not really taking the, the, uh, the direction for priority on that piece of work seriously enough. And consequently, what's going to happen is things won't get done when the person making the request wants okay. them done. Right. So that is something I'm sure we've seen. Everybody who's listening to this and watching this have seen before, right? We've described some of the, the issues that happen, which is sort of segue into what can be done mm. next mm. around those things. If you've got direction from leadership to work on something, instead of just simply taking this direction and running with it, I would encourage teams to say, okay, but at what expense, right? So we understand this is more important. Here's the bucket at the moment that we're working on. Yeah. And so if maybe it's not leadership necessarily, it could be within the team, it could be the product owner. The conversation needs to be had. What are we dropping? Right? And what is the impact of that? It was a quick conversation. Drop this, drop that, whatever it is. Make sure that's recorded somewhere. Maybe it's in the in the feature or user story, whatever. Before you move on, that way you've done something. You've you've made the decision to switch work, current work, for something else that is deemed higher priority. Yeah. So well, the reason why I harp on this is because when you pick up the work you've dropped, you need to know where to pick it up. Yeah. And with the passage of time, you'll probably start over. Yeah. At least with the discussions, etc., getting your mind around it. The developers, they work on that urgent thing for, let's say, a few days, and then they come back to the other thing. Now they have to go back and learn all about that. Like, where were we again, right? I'm going to cut in here because yeah. I want to reframe what you're talking about, not from the perspective of this came up as a surprise, and now we got to drop what we're working on. I want to reframe it from the perspective of, like, leadership has come down and says, this is my, this, th- this is my top priority. Let's say that coincided with your sprint planning. So now you, you just... Um, you you haven't started a sprint yet, so they're not interrupting any of your work. Okay. You're, they're basically from the Something start. Hard. Yeah. So so I'm thinking I'm thinking from every every member of a scrum team. I'm thinking from the product manager's perspective. 
it's probably the easiest because product manager could be the person at every daily scrum being, being like, hey, I see us working on things that are not number one priority. What, what, what are we doing? Scrum master could say the same thing. Hey, our sprint goal is the number one priority. Theoretically, they should be related. If it's a sprint goal and it's the number one priority, they should be the same, right? Because otherwise there is a problem. So put that off to the side for a second. Maybe we'll get back to that. Maybe we won't. But then also, I feel your developers also could say, hey, I see developer Bob, I see you working on this thing that's a top priority. Would you mind if I hung around and watched just so I can see how that works or whatever? Or okay, can I take this little piece or whatever? Right, pitch in, you exactly. Know? And yeah. and if you're developer Bob and you're the senior developer, as a senior person on the team, you should, anyway, you should be doing this. You should be saying, why don't you help me with this piece and you help me with this piece and you should already be breaking up your work. And then take a step back from scrum teams to go into the larger organization. If you're development leadership and you see that they've moved all the difficult stuff or all the whatever platform stuff to one person or all the infrastructure stuff to one person and maybe you're not on the team but you're senior senior development leadership in that organization yeah. you should at least have a conversation with your either your lead on that team or with somebody on the, with the developers on your team or somebody to say do you think the strategy i understand you guys are stressing and you're working fast or whatever but this strategy you're using of just throwing everything on the whatever like this is a kind of a self-defeating strategy like for everybody on the team there is room, there is an entry point for them to step in to assert themselves and say, hey, we could be working together. We could be swarming to knock out the highest priority and we could be using doing something to make sure we're knocking out the highest priority and, uh, together, you know? Yeah, I agree, absolutely. So one of the things that really helps teams do that is if they have somebody who can say, every day, whatever we're doing, is that contributing to our spring goal, yeah. right? So we, we won't go there, that's not the focus of this podcast, but I wanted to say something about the how piece now, right? So. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you focus on the highest priority thing and then also keep your eye on something that's late breaking, something new, yeah. which is now of a higher priority than yeah. before, right? If, if teams are using a board, that's obviously make it easier, but it's not the only way to do it. If you're using a board, you could have a lane right at the top right. for high priority work, right? So normally it's empty if the priority doesn't get changed on the team, but if something new comes up, then before bringing it into that or as you're doing that again just to repeat myself the conversation is what are we taking out right and seeing it on a on a board with whip limit helps you meter that right yeah but if you're not using a common board or, of sorts how do you do that then well i think that comes down to religiously making sure that your backlog is ordered yeah so something new comes in as higher priority has to go above whatever you're working on when that happens what you're working on presumably has a status or a state of active or in progress or something like that mm -hmm. something new comes in that's higher priority goes above that and it's, it's sitting there in a state of new that visually says to the whole team and anybody looking at that backlog that this thing is more important we haven't started on it yet so it's the onus is then on the team typically it's it's a product owner somebody like that to make sure that the states or statuses are kept current as well as the order is kept current as things get done move them away from where they were on the board towards the bottom, whether it's the sprint backlog or the product backlog. So making sure that is kept current is I think key in yeah. facilitating the conversations. Yeah, you know, I, I recently went through this, like we were talking before the podcast, I recently went through this and I found that I needed to, I needed to display leadership's initiatives, business level initiatives, uh, business goals I was talking about before. You can call them goals, you can call them initiatives, you can call them whatever you want, whatever. yeah, objectives, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, you can, OKRs, you can do the same thing. I needed to display them at a high level so that when the individual product managers on individual teams with individual products of their own came in later, they could say, well, I'm servicing this OKR, this organizational OKR, this or organizational objective, I'm servicing it this way. And they can basically pull into their backlog small pieces of that larger uh, initiative that the business is taking on. But, 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 I like the business 
only knows, hey, I like I'm I'm this this is something I want to do. Then I'm kind of vetting it against the rest of the things that we could do, where no one's really working on it yet. Versus a development team actually is taking pieces of it and implementing it. Like I I need clear delineations. And and then and then the last column is so it's it's to do in progress. And the last column obviously is done done, which done might mean. I've put enough money into this. I'm not willing to spend more money on this initiative. No matter what product or whatever, I'm not willing to spend more money on it. It's cut off. It's done. So you still might have things that you could do that are sitting in different backlogs or whatever. But because the initiative, the high business initiative has closed, either the items that are left open either migrate to other initiatives where it makes sense to move them to or they just close. Because like the business has decided we don't want to put any more money into this. I think I think of a lot of legacy products that I've worked on at companies where like, hey, that's a great idea and we probably can make a little like ten percent more money or whatever, but like the business is not willing to spend another dime on this product. Yep. You got what you got as far as money goes and that's it. Yeah, the the accountants use a, a metric for that to see or ROCE, return on capital employed. So where is this chunk of money going to go next, right? And it helps them it helps them certainly prioritize what they're putting the funding toward. I think from a team's perspective, if you're always looking at the boards, your backlogs, et cetera, yeah. that, can, that can make things visible, right? So somebody puts something that's a higher priority at the top of the, sure. the chart, and you're working on something that's lower, you're working on it yesterday, maybe the day before, but today you suddenly notice that, you should be asking the question, hey, this has come up, do I need to drop what I'm doing? Yeah, yeah. And do not wait for a sprint event for that. Don't wait for the next day stand up for that. Ask the question. You have a team chat or, you know, some other way that you can communicate with yeah. the rest of your team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that would be that would be the thing to do is talk about it so you can take action early and then communicate what the decision is and the actions that are being taken to everyone. That's more critical now because you're not actually in a room every day. You can see see the board, but you could still see the board, right, if you're doing remote sprint events. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if something pops, like it, theoretically, like the the higher level business objective, business goal board that I was talking about, things shouldn't it shouldn't be surprised. It shouldn't be a surprise when things pop up onto that board. Hopefully, no, that's right. There shouldn't be too many changes on that because yeah. otherwise the organization's flip flopping. Well, especially since it's it's cross product. Yeah, it truly is what the organization wants to do and, and and where it wants to go and stuff like that. So yeah, you can't. I hope that your organization is not flip flopping faster than your development teams can move over to, to whatever priority that the organization has set. You're in quite turbulent waters if that is true. Yeah, I mean, there are obviously exceptions, right? Like, for example, on that business objective board, you have something that the teams are working on, and maybe the organizational decision is now made to not fund that anymore, right? So we're sunsetting this. There's no more money on that, right? right? Stop work. Because right. any work that you do isn't going to pay back. Yeah. That kind of thing happens, but it's rare, you know, hopefully. Yeah, I can, I can see, see that. I've, I've been, I mean, I've been in projects that have been sunset before, and it's, it's basically like there are customers locked into contracts. You have no guarantee they're going to renew, but until they do renew, you know how much cash you have. And for the customers that do renew, and whatever the cycle is, maybe they have staggered renewals, you have X amount of cash, and, and they're locked into the product as is with no new features promised or whatever. That's what happens when you, you sunset systems, and you have clients that basically, like, they're trying to move off the system. It's just... It's difficult to get, I was going to say, get unmarried. <laughs> it, it, once you're married to a system, it's difficult to not be married. It's not really getting divorced. It's no, that's get, right. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'll tell you what I've seen this thing happen also is when there's mergers because oftentimes a company yeah, takes over another company because they want their client base or their product or whatever, then their product's just being shut down mm-hmm. effectively. Um, so I've seen it happen in that, that environment. That's that's a much bigger step because now the teams are asked to completely stop work across the board right. on the product that they've been developing or enhancing and learn about this new one. 
yeah. but that's a bit of a that's a bigger jump but it happens yeah and uh, i would also add like I, I i was through that on the acquire ring side mm-hmm. actually where we acquired a company that had a mobile app and uh, I, I remember we like say like end when you end a life apps in the mobile app store you can when people go to open the app you can give them a link that says hey this app is no longer working go get this other app and you know that that's the one you got to use from now on mm-hmm. and uh, of course people who were happily using the app that's being decommissioned they're not like users they're not happy <laughs> that's right. That's right. so they'll, they'll beat you up in the app store but yeah some, sometimes yeah sometimes you have a, a perfectly working pro- in this case the mobile app i'm talking about it was a perfectly working product it's just the company was like why would i keep two mobile apps yeah. I'll, I'll take all your users i'll roll them over into my other and you know they actually that company was super sloppy by the way the way they did it too they didn't even automatically roll the mobile users over they, they said hey go register for this app here's a link to the app store and they basically made them act like they were brand new clients <laughs> real Real, uh, yeah, not like you, customer loyalty was not top of their mind. Yeah, yeah. Dollar signs was top of their mind. But yeah. boy. Where have we seen that before? Yeah. Right? You mentioned something before that I, I didn't bring it up when you mentioned it, but I want to bring it up now. You, you said something about work being blocked yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. Like I went through this recently with a team where they were talking about work being blocked. And I think what, what I when I confronted them, I'm like, you guys are using blocked really, really liberally. Because I like I think of blocked. I think a blocked, like a, a locked door, you physically cannot walk through, like a truly blocked. I'm trying to even think of appropriate usage of the word blocked means. I'm developing a web front end that does functionality Y. But in order for the web front end to work doing functionality Y, I have to have backend API X developed that functionality Y triggers to get its response. Now, I could develop front end Y web page with stubbed out nonsense responses but i can only get so far you can't put it in production yeah right i, I mean i i might be able to put it you in production might. Like, <laughs> you might. with like hey whatever like what, around it whatever whatever color of car that you order it's going to turn out black because that's what gets uh, sent <laughs> i don't have the production list of colors so you're going to get black whatever it is if you want to order a car with a black paint job that's the only color that i'm sure that our brian and ohms auto manufacturing can produce we're all 100 sure we can do black so i as a front-end developer Without an API that responds with the proper set of colors, I'm just going to, everything's black. So we can go to production if leadership's like, you know what? Fine. On the initial splash page, just say, hey, just to let you know, Mr. User, before you step through this car order form, you can only choose black as a color. (laughs) Because we're cool with that. Like, great. But in the majority, like that, that's a very simplistic, yeah, yeah, example. So a, a, a true blocker is like, well, this thing doesn't even exist. And I can't, I can't truly fake it. I think of like a, when I worked on the data warehouse, you would pick up data and you'd ship it somewhere else. So like if somebody didn't create the platform you were shipping it to, well, the platform doesn't exist. So like you could do things locally or you can create a test environment or whatever, like an in-house data. But like if you're proving that you're going to ship data somewhere and the platform doesn't exist you're shipping it to, you truly are blocked in that instance. Yeah. So blocked, it doesn't just mean an impediment. It truly means cannot move forward. Yeah, so in that example, though, right, maybe you just change your definition of done to say we're going to build it, test it. Not, there isn't a, a, yeah. a final destination yeah. for it yet. That might be another story or a bunch of other stories. What about something really, really stark, like a developer working remotely, their laptop crashed, they're blocked. They can't work, right? Yeah. But I agree with you. Blocked is way too often used to mean not really blocked, but yeah. something, right? I went through this recently, this week, as a matter of fact, a, a team had a column on their command board called on hold. Mm-hmm. That's just another way of saying blocked. Yeah. And there were multiple things, over, over almost two dozen things in that column. Oh boy. And I'm looking at that, 
that stood out from all the other columns by a long way. I, I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I have to say, like, I, not cool to cut in, but like one thing in the block column should. Like immediately in your daily stand-up, you should all zone into the one thing in the block column. Absolutely. Whoa, whoa, whoa! There's something blocked. Hang on, let's all stop and see what we can. You right. know, let's all roll up our sleeves and yeah. unblock that yeah, thing. Yeah. So, I, I one of the things I do as a matter of course now is to change the color of the cards. In, not in the on hold or block column. I don't yeah. like the column approach at all. Yeah. So I, I eliminate the column. But for me, something can be blocked anywhere. Can, yeah. It can be blocked and still be in the backlog. Yeah. So it's new but blocked. Sure can. So I change the color of that card so that, to your point, every day the, the team can see that. Yeah. If it's in the new, it's less of a consequence, but it's just there for, for knowledge. But if it's not in the new column, the team can look at that and say, hey, this is blocked. Yeah. Why is this blocked? Yeah. Right? Having almost 21 items in the block column is, or on hold, whatever, same thing. That is just an abuse of the, of the actual board. That's, that's a classic example of a team that keep starting and you have a bottleneck forming in the on hold column that can also happen with the active column they yeah. just don't bother blocking it they just say oh well i can't progress that i'll just pull something else into work on yeah uh, and that's what obviously we should all be striving to eliminate so we have flow across from yeah. left to right and the flow should be like water not like, like molasses yeah you know the other thing for blocked that i've dealt with as well is the team will say something's blocked because another developer is working like another developer on the team is working on another piece kind of what i was talking about before is like well that developer is working on the back end api and until they're completely done with all the endpoints of the back end api we're not even going to start on the front end uh, and and i like my response the, my product response is like like getting the site launched is the top priority even if the form to order the cars only lets you order a black car because you're faking out the response for that like I, I need the web page up because right. the users don't care about the API. The users are not ordering a car by pulling up Postman and, <laughs> and <laughs> which would be hilarious. That by would the way. be hilarious. But they're, like they're not doing that. Like they're going to the web front end. The development team equivalent of this, like kind of what we're talking about here, the the leadership problem of starting things, not 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 finishing things, but starting a million things. The development team equivalent here, of what we're talking about, would be I would never even put up the the first bit of a web page until the entire back end API for every bit of ordering the car is up and running and, and, and can be exercised via backend tests or whatever. And then I wouldn't even start on the front end. Like, ah, no, 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 that's not good enough. That's not good at all. Like, I, w- I would rather you fake me through the demo, right? the whole demo, than work in this way. So if you're saying like, oh, well, the, f- the, the front end, deploying the front end website is blocked because every bit of the backend API that serves it is not ready yet. Again, that's not blocked to me. It's now, not. now you can you can call in an impediment. I I would argue that like it's probably I'm not probably using a great example. That's probably not even really an impediment. Now impediment here would be this stuff is only available until we get someone to open a firewall port production and to, so external users can see. It. That'd be like an impediment. You know what I mean? Like somebody that what we don't control. <laughs> yeah. some, somebody we don't control on our team doing something for us. You know that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> you know, I think people need to get their mindset around not waiting to finish everything. Yeah. Um, before progressing, and this is this is that old discussion we've had before on a podcast, yeah. uh, slicing the, the work vertically. So to your point, get the website up. If, yeah. it, if it has one thing on it, fine, get it up, put yeah. one thing on, and then over time, put more and more things on. And, and I just thought of a, a, a real impediment, like an impediment versus a blocker, a real impediment, a real impediment. Like I, I was talking about the data platform before, I just remembered we were trying to get access to a different data system to pull data into, and we had to get approval to pull data in but even like there were forums and people that gave approval and stuff sure. like that but even if we didn't get the approval we knew what the response from that system looked like so we could fake it but even if we didn't even after we got the approval we still had to get credentials and so so we cleared the blocker the blocker of we don't have approval to work in that system and then we get the approval to work in the system but then 
Another blocker. Another blocker was we had to wait till we got credentials to actually pull from the, the whatever the, I don't remember if it was a production version or a test system. I don't remember what they had. I think they had a test system. Maybe a staging. A, yeah, yeah, like a, something like that. But anyway, but like until we got the correct credentials, we couldn't. So it was like, oh, we can do all of our work in stage. I was like, well, I don't care about stage until right. it's in prod, uh, until people can actually pull fields in in the global catalog. Like I, as a product person, I got nothing to show. So I, I don't care about stage. So like, uh, are we blocked or is that just an impediment? Because again, we can we can do a demo. We can fake that data. Mm-hmm. We can fake the data. It doesn't. I think there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're upfront and say, look, this is not real, you know, authentication or whatever, right? right? That this is fake data. Yeah. Well, in the next bit, we'll get there. And that's, that's a, fine. That's a great example. Like fake data is a great example. Like, when I say fake, I I mean, I don't mean fake as in like we just made all the columns and all the data up. I mean fake as in we're using stage data and we're representing it as it would be prod. Yeah. Because we don't have prod credentials yet, but assuming the stage and prod systems have the same fields, credentials, whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, data, basically the data structure looks the same. Like it's, I guess we're, it, it's an impediment to moving to production that we have yet to resolve, but we can do a demo. Yeah, I'd say maybe reframe that. So to say, this is not an impediment because we know what to do. Yeah. We just haven't done it. We know what yeah. to do. We need to do X, Y, Z. So it's really a dependency That's yeah, at the is. end of the day. Yeah, I, I think this this word blocker impediment they they raise way too often by teams, yeah. and and a lot of times team members aren't even doing anything about the said blocker or impediment. They just say, I I don't know what to do here, so I'll call it a blocker and say over to you, Scrum Master. Yeah, right. So I think if you're a Scrum Master listening to this uh, or watching this, when a team member says they have an impediment, the first question you should ask them is, what have you done to solve that? Right. And then come to me. Don't right. say I sent an email to Bob or Mary. That that's not taking action yeah i'm blocked on this item and <laughs> and so i'm just gonna pick up the next one over to you ohm now now on to your on for your status ohm like that, that's the normal exactly. that's the normal one that drives me crazy i'm like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute if you're blocked, on, blocked if you're blocked on moving an item forward or whatever like some people might be like hey dislike this video because impediment blocker they mean the same to me it doesn't really matter like take ownership of it ohm and go figure it out i'm with you I, I am on your side. I believe basically the same thing. If you have a blocker impediment, something basically a work item that cannot move to the next status, mm-hmm. you should stop and say, hey, I have a problem. Can anyone on the team help me out? Okay, no. Okay, no, Mr. Scrum Master, Mr. Scrum Master. Nobody on the team can help me out. So you and I, when the meeting's over, let's put our head together. When the daily stand over, let's put our head together, figure out where we go from here. Right. Make a plan. Somebody do something, right? Something happens. Scrum Master, continual follow-up, you know what I mean? Uh, until something happens or it doesn't happen, eventually 24 hours will pass, you'll be back in the same spot tomorrow. Same questions get asked. If the same question gets asked and the same problems persisting and the Scrum Master developer puts their heads together and like, oh, we try to do whatever, like now you need to be thinking about like, okay, who else can we ring into this? Who else can we roll into this discussion if we can't figure it out now? Like it, it, that circle needs to keep expanding and expanding and expanding. Escalation time. Basically like your full-time job now, between now and when that impediment is resolved, yeah is resolving that impediment. That's your, that's your number one task now, is to focus on de-blocking that. Yeah. Unblocking, unblocking that. I, I, like, de- I like de-blocking. De-blocking. I don't know where I like that came that. from. <laughs> but yeah, so I agree with you. Don't don't neglect it and keep saying unblock still. Yeah, don't move on to something else. Yeah. Like the minute you move on to something, you're like, oh, this is difficult. I'm going to move on to something less difficult. Like, you take an easy way out. Yeah, you're never going to get back to it, man. It's not going to get resolved without constant effort from you and or your team or team members or scrum master or whoever, I mean, like why it's not why would you think it's gonna get like <laughs> that's 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 this culture of throwing things over the fence and hoping somebody else is gonna fix them that scrum tries to get around right. that's why we have principles that's why we have values and stuff exactly and by by doing what a lot of people do which is i'm still blocked so i'm gonna pick up something else that's how you end up with those blocked columns 
populating, right? Yeah. And, and getting piled on. So yeah, just avoid that. What do you think about the concept of streams of work for a development team? So like development team will start a sprint and they'll say, hey, I got we, we want to implement story X, Y, and Z. And so Home will take story X and Brian will take story Y and developer Bob will take story Z. And we'll all be working on separate streams of work, which, which, which may be contributing to the same feature, but also maybe not even related to each other. So basically the idea is rather than all looking at one story, one, one, like uh, rather than swarming or peer programming, swarming, whatever you want to call it, rather than all working on one thing at the same time, we're all going off into our separate areas, working individually on separate sets of code. Um, yeah. So I think what we need to do here is distinguish between the two things you just said. You know, if you're working on, if multiple people are working on pieces of the product that will come together and it's a focused effort. For at the team level, that is one scenario. One, yeah. The other scenario is everybody's working on different things. You're not even a team at that point, yeah. right? You should not be a team in, in that case. You're a gang. I You're think. a gang. Yeah, yeah. Scrum yeah. gang. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Every every like every podcast I get that into is a win. That is a win. Scrum gang. Scrum gang. But if it's the former, one of the things you really need to be mindful of is will all the pieces fit? It's like saying, well, Brian, you take the corner of this puzzle. We don't know what the end thing's going to look like, but you go start yeah. putting the pieces together of this jigsaw over there. Just do the bottom right corner. Yeah. Bob does the top left corner, and I do the, the bottom left corner or whatever. And the other corner, we're just going to say, whoever has time, just go ahead and do that yeah, in yeah. your own time <laughs> by yourself. Yeah, whoever finishes first. Yeah. That's, so, your, that's your reward, more work. <laughs> more yeah. work. But, but how is that puzzle going to look? <laughs> Right? That's the question I have. So you have to collaborate to use that word. I'm going to use it only once today. Only but once. you have to work with one another. You have to understand that because then collectively the thing that is kind of not quantifiable, unquantifiable, is the knowledge that everybody gets mm -hmm. about what we're trying to build. Right? Like learnings from one person are immediately available to somebody else if you're yeah. continuously speaking with one another. So yeah, you really have to do that. Otherwise, you're going to suffer siloism. Yeah. Right? You'll build something that looks different. You'll end up with a, a square hole in a round peg. Square hole, square. That square. makes sense. The other way. No, that does make sense, actually. No, I had it right. <laughs> a square it's hole. All about, it's all about right. size. When, when you have a square hole, yeah, a round, a round peg will fit if it's small enough. So that, Or if the hammer is big enough. So, so you have to. I mean, otherwise, you're not going to end up with a product. You're going to end up with a, a Franken product that doesn't even look like what you want it to look like, but it's yeah. something. That's yeah. not what you want. Because now, guess what? Now you have huge tech debt. The streams of work thing is that's that's the weirdest thing across my career that I've seen because it's so common among development teams. Is that it, it is. You know what really doesn't help though? Most of the ALM tools propagate this stupid idea they, by yeah. having this thing called assigned to. Yeah, you're right. It's, a, it's assigned to Bob. Well, okay, Bob, yeah. it's all yours. That's all you. It's assigned to home. It's all me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost as if your role on into the team should determine your visibility to the assignee statuses. So like, think about this for a second. If I, like, I'm using Jira, and in Jira, you have stories and you have subtasks, right? So subtasks can, and usually are, broken up by developer, but they can still swarm on the subtasks, okay? Right. But the stories, the stories are assigned to the entire team to complete, because the team commits to a story. So really, the assignee on a story should just be your team and your current sprint. If yep. you think about it, right? That's yep. the assignee, the team and your current sprint. But first of all, if you're not on the team, 
you really shouldn't see any of the subtasks. Maybe if we have to give somebody something, you just get it like a little, a little bar that as, you know, if you have seven subtasks, the bar moves in little ticks, you know what I mean? As Straight so, line. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Subtasks get closed, right? The, yeah. the little bar becomes more blue or whatever as the subtask right, roll on. Right. But if you're not on that team, first of all, if you're not on the team, you, you don't see anything except the blue bar moving for subtasks. If you're on the team, then I guess you can split subtasks up by team members, and this, but, but only from the purpose of, only for the purpose of who is the main developer who's kind of leading the, you know I mean, getting things together, because usually it's one person, and everyone else can kind of contribute. But even that, I'm, I'm willing to be flexible on even that to say, maybe you don't need that. The point is, the point is, the higher you are up in leadership, the less names that you will see on individual work items yeah. because it doesn't matter to you. You should say, hey, I want to hand off this epic. Well, who do you hand off the epic to to get broken down and broken into stories? Well, you hand it off to a product manager. So basically, at the leadership level, at the high-level board where you see epics, all you need is the name of the product manager. Product managers are on teams. So you should know the team by the product manager. So you assign, you leadership, delegate epics to product managers to right. run with. Right. The product managers bring it to teams and they bring the what? That gets broken down into stories, which they are still involved in, so that they get to see a high-level what in the form of all the stories that contribute up to their epic that they're assigned to, so that they're accountable to all this. So they're assigned to all the stories, because it's their stories leading to their epic, so now there's their names on it all. Yep. But then how it's being delivered, if the product manager is also the product owner who sits on the team, then they can see the names on all the stories, but anybody else in the organization who is not on that team can't see anything that's the way the tool should work it should I, i've seen it work a different way but i like that a lot because in organizations where the product manager is the product owner then on the epics they have their name so they can look up at leadership and go that's mine i've got three yeah. teams working right, on that yeah. or whatever at the team's level if they're the po they can own the features they would be assigned to them perhaps right. but i haven't seen that play out in practice what i have seen on on one team is every user story was assigned to the tech lead on that team mm. it's, it's their name and then the tasks are assigned to individual or owned by i should say sure. the creators of the tasks which is anybody on the team to create a task and then they put it usually they put it against their name the why they, this team did that is pretty interesting so every day the tech lead would be the go-to person by anybody who is working on the tasks for that story yeah. and where you have an active involved tech lead that works quite well it's not that every story is going to need their input necessarily or every task let's say but when it when it is they're there so I've seen that, but yeah. and that is just one. So I'd be more okay with that if if you had some high-level categories that things broke down into where people were accountable to those high-level categories. And I'll give you an example because this is, I'm, I'm getting super meta now. So if I had a work item that was a technical enabler type of work item, so, hey, if you want to go implement this functionality, we're going to have to upgrade our version of this system to 9X or whatever. Okay, well the actual upgrade of the system that is a technical enabler in order for us to do a functionality later on down the road that is my tech lead is answerable to that item so i know who to call when i want to know about that item call my tech ah, lead right. uh, assuming i don't hand uh, assuming i don't have product managers cuz some 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 businesses um they don't hand technical things off to their product managers. They hand it off to some engineering leader, and yeah. the engineering leader kind of subs in and out as a product manager, but like a technical version of a product manager, but not the job title product manager. And, and I think of the same thing as like a customer request that's been funneled directly through a customer that says, oh, well, maybe like I've, I've been in companies where like 50% or more of the company's revenue comes from a single customer. So whenever the customer says, hey, you guys really need to add a checkbox on this screen, normally you do some discovery work and figure out exactly what the customer needs, but sometimes it's 
quicker to just <laughs> implement exactly what they asked for. Yeah. So, so sometimes you have customer requests, and then sometimes your like leadership comes down and decides like, oh, this is we want to we want to break into this market. We want to do this strategic thing. We want to create this analytic product or these reports out of our database or wh- whatever stuff like yeah. that that they think is going to strategically position the company. So there's some categories. So the strategic things I definitely think should be handed down to product managers yes. to run with for the next level. The customer things maybe you have a subject matter expert, or maybe you have somebody who works in support, or maybe you have somebody who's like a a customer advocate type of role who can stand in when questions come up about that kind of stuff. There are different people in the organization that maybe, obviously my first recommendation would be like, just get your product manager. They're supposed to do it all. But maybe if you're a bit more nuanced than that, or maybe you don't have enough product managers to go around or whatever, you mean maybe there's some other strategies you can use. I'm doing like the scrum trainer thing of like, just use scrum the way it's supposed to be used and you'll have no problems. Like, okay, yeah, but like in the real world, like (laughs) other strategies, other other tactics. I look forward to your angry tweets. I was was just going to say, somebody's going to say something on LinkedIn. Oh, no. I hope it's no one who has a day job. That's what I hope. Right. But no, these are other things that maybe you can do and it doesn't cost you a lot. I mean, just put the person's name in there that deals with the certain category or whatever. There was ways you could do this to, to kind of help you along. I, honestly, I forgot what, what we were even talking about. We were no, talking about this whole assignment concept. Assignment, right? yeah. So uh, the, just because something is assigned to so, uh, someone doesn't mean as a team, you simply just say it's on that person, right? It, it's them. It's not. Right. That piece of work is still for the team to deliver in the sprint. So the team, anybody on the team owns it just as much as the person whose name is on there. It's just that that person might be the most suited person who knows the most about it perhaps because he's done or she's done that kind of work before. So I think that attitude change takes a little bit of time to get used to where in the daily stand-up, for example, team members aren't saying, here's what I did yesterday, here's what I'm doing today kind of thing. Yesterday I stood in the stand-up and gave my status and and sat down, I'm going to do the same today. That's right. Right? That's where a team member might say, well, I'm working on this thing and I kind of have a question on this. And another team member immediately could say, well, how about we get together right after? We can swarm on this program or take your mob program that kind of approach is very beneficial in my experience but it's also difficult to get a team to to implement that especially if they're a team that hasn't been around a long time Mm -hmm. they've had a lot of churn you don't really know the other person you know you don't know if someone's going to challenge your expertise or you're afraid of being made out to be incompetent or whatever it is whatever the insecurities are they need to be put aside Let's go down that road because I mean that's I feel that's the one thing that is probably most beneficial that we haven't talked about on today's podcast. Like how what are some tactics to kind of get your team or some ideas? I don't want to say tactics, like uh, dirty tactics. <laughs> what are some things that you could do to prompt your team toward working together? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Swarming on things, basically. That's what that's what I'm saying. Swarming on things. That's what I'm saying because I'm trying not to use the word collaborate because I, I feel the, the title of this podcast is going to be collect like we won't we don't use the word collaborate that's going to be the title of this podcast <laughs> talking about collaboration without using the word collaboration that's going to be the title of this podcast it's going to have collaboration twice in the title <laughs> all right so as far as tactics go short of buying cattle prods and heating them up that's right they glow red that's right um, they're too what, expensive that's the only they're reason they're very expensive and the team members tend to not like it. so one of the things we could do is when you're standing up on your daily stand-up Switch up the routine and say, do you know what Mary's working on? Mary, do you know what Fred's working on? Fred, mm. do you, right? Can you talk about that topic that this other person's working on? Yeah. And, and if they just have completely no idea, it tells you you're not working well together. Right. I almost use the C word. Right. So, so that's just a symptom, right? But how do you make that happen? I think every time you point to a task, you could ask the question that I know it's got Fred's name on it, but who can help Fred with this? Yeah. Fred may say, well, I'm going to finish in the next hour. I don't need help. That's yeah. fine. But otherwise, somebody needs to say something. Yeah. So you could ask that question. Who has these skill sets who can help this person? Yeah. And, and when that task is wrapped up, he in turn can help somebody else. 
right? And try and instill that culture of swarming. It, it yeah. isn't easy, especially if the team members don't trust one another. I think that's the that's at well, the center maybe, of all yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Like we were saying earlier before the podcast, showing your code to someone else. Oh man, that that's gotta be tough. Terrifying. Right? Yeah. Terrifying. So you gotta get that fear out of them yeah. and say it's not your code. This is our code. This code is going to speak for all of us when it's out there. Yeah. So can we all look at this with the aim to not necessarily say, oh, you're terrible at coding. The aim is, how can we get this done the right way, obviously, yeah. but get it done, right, collectively. Yeah. That that mentality, that kind of an approach, I think will foster this behavior of coming together. I'm already compiling my agenda for round two of this podcast because we didn't even talk about like sitting testers with your developers oh, yeah. when, when they start writing line one of code. Sitting, sitting down and saying, hey, like, hey, like the first thing, what is this? What is this function supposed to do? What, what is this piece of the code? What, what is this new module we're writing supposed to do? Oh, it's supposed to display a web page for login. Okay, well, let's make sure that you're not logged in first. Oh, oh, I guess that should be the wrapper of my right. You know, if, if, as long as you're not logged in, let me check that first, and then now let me check now. Now let me prompt the login page because yep. if you're logged in, like you don't need a login page. If your first story is create a login page, that's not going to be the first thing that I would think to code, if my first story is create a login page and my test is behind me, you don't need this page if you're logged in. When you're working together, you're going to identify things that maybe you won't think of on your own. Absolutely, you know? because testers think slightly differently, right? Yeah. I agree, I, I think if you, if you had a magic wand, you could put your testers with your developers day one, like first hour of the sprint and work yeah. out some tests that can be written first and small ones yeah. and then just write enough code to fail the test and then move on. Right. Right. If you do that, if you do that well, when that story is finished and the tester does their, they do their automation or whatever, they, whether they do a manual quick check, whatever it is, that's gonna go super fast because yeah. by definition, you've gone through all, all of that. Yeah. But to get to that point requires a mindset change, right. Right? right? Because nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, testers aren't sitting with developers day one. They're just simply saying, when can I get something to test? Right, yeah. And we've got to get away from that. Yeah. And that is kind of why we titled this podcast as a leadership problems, because I feel there, there are organizations where you will never even get to having that conversation because they'll, they'll, they will say like, why would I pay a tester to sit with a developer and not do anything? Air quotes. Yeah. Not, I mean, I know, I know it sounds ridiculous, but, but not do anything while my like theoretically if you have no automation testing at all and you're only a manual test shop your developer your developer and your tester still are sitting together while the code is being written and theoretically your tester is still testing it at at the end of the line <laughs> inspecting for quality that would, well, everything everything we everything deming said not to do assuming you're still doing that but the point is now they see how the code is written mm -hmm. and they were involved though during the whole time so they're still doing the test at the end but the point is now they can be assured that things have been thought of at the very very beginning of the production yeah so in that scenario in that model right the tests that they're doing at the end are more like the the pre-delivery inspection when you pick up a vehicle yeah. you wouldn't want to pick one up without that because things happen things get missed out but that's a minimal thing at the end because they were there involved from the beginning right, right. so any pivots that needed to happen etc already happened yeah so just we know we know what to do right then why isn't it being done mm -hmm. it, it's it all comes down to the mindset we need to break this this paradigm that people have in their heads about testers testing things once things have been chucked over the wall from developers that has to go and some of the ways you can do that you've just touched on one right get together with the developer day one but you don't have enough testers to do that for every developer necessarily so you have five developers you don't have five testers who can do all of that so there is that mm -hmm. now as far as changing the attitudes and the mind frames well, one of the things you can do is 
have your tester do things like run your product demo. They're, they're actually doing the demonstration. Yeah. And then when they get feedback, that feedback is translated, not by a BA. So change up the roles is what I'm saying, yeah. right? 10 rules. So the 10 rules to me is when somebody writes 10 lines of code, a tester needs to be there to look at that, mm-hmm. right? This is different from TDD. This is writing the code first, but still the tester's there and they could say, what about this? What about yeah, that? Yeah. It's, it's not as good as TDD, sure. but it is a step toward it. Mm. These are little things you can do mm-hmm. to get there in the not too distant future. I want to keep going because we're talking about testing, so I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. But to, to cap this off, the streams of work thing is always weird for me because I'm like, well, why, why do you care about everyone going off and working on individual things that may or may not be the priority just, just to keep everyone busy? Like, I, I, oh, yeah. I mean, I get that project management mindset. I, I understand it's, it's, it's pretty natural for people, depending on their background, to fall into that control type of mindset. And I, so I understand. Like, I don't, I don't get too upset about it being that prevalent out there. But also, you've got to know at some point this doesn't really do anything. Yeah, you know. yeah, it's it's hard to divorce yourself from that mindset if you come from that that that, yeah. domain, that background. Um, as one who was living in those in, in those uh, spheres, I can say that, but because the, the focus was on utilization, I keep people busy. Utilization, right? And yeah, they could just write, please turn over on a piece of paper on both sides and keep doing that every day. Right. That doesn't really get you the value you're looking for. Yeah. But again, if one's come from that environment, that's all you know, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah, and and like just to, just to cap this podcast off, like that, there was a there was a discussion we had before the podcast that I think encapsulates this re- really well. Is is there's there's two management teams in two different organizations and one management team says oh you need to show us a, a work breakdown that proves that over the duration of the project one is utilized to x percentage of their eight hours per day and i mean show me that everyone's working 7.25 hours per day or whatever and show me what what activities are going to be involved in along the way and then the other management team says show me that everyone is working on what i declare as the top priority until the top priority is done and then moving on to the next priority show, show me that people are working together to make sure that the business's top priorities are knocked out in the order in which the business sets the priorities right. until we are done, done with the list, basically. Which, I mean, you're never, you're never done with the list, right, obviously. Right. In, in, either, either, in either methodology, you're never done with the list no. of work. Right. But the point is, in the second example that I, that I use, not, not the one that is concerned with utilization, it, it's so much more mature of a way to run a business to say, I'm gonna give you, the employees of my business, my number one goal and I want you all to put your heads together to figure out how to accomplish my number one goal. And when my number one goal is accomplished, and I feel this is the star next to this, when my number one goal is accomplished, star, or accomplished enough where I decide, I, leadership, decide, I will accept this. This is enough. Move on to number two. Okay, so so you finish your work. You keep showing me the work until I say, okay, enough, enough. I know there's other things we can do. Yes, the product would be better with more things, but this is enough. Goal number two is creeping up. We got to get to it. Let's pivot. Cut off goal number one. That is a lot different than just saying, Ohm, what are you doing to make sure that everyone has their butts in seats for 7.5 hours per day? It's on keyboard. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's a completely different mentality, right? I mean, one's going to get you the actual value, the result that you want. The other one is going to get you good numbers. That's it. Yeah. Eventually. Good numbers that are meaningless. They're meaningless, right. Exactly. So it, it's... Yeah, everybody's working great. Everybody's working, right? Yeah. But what are they producing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty clear to me that a lot of organizations are still in that camp where they're looking at keeping people busy. Yeah. You know, we're paying them. They got to be busy, right? All right. Well, that's is that a wrap? That's a that's, wrap. That's this podcast. All right. Well, make sure everybody uh, you should like our podcast. Give us your comments down below and let us know what else you'd like to hear about. And let us know what shorts you want to see. Yes, that too.